0: Men, thank you, worship team. You guys are awesome. So good to have you guys here. Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Lisa Tony, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am here tonight to let you in on a little secret. You ready? I'm going to reveal to you why mommies carry really big purses. Are you ready for this? It's all about the snacks, people. When you are out with children, it's all about the snacks. Now on any given day, I could have a plethora of snacks in this big old purse I carry around. Um, Popcorn, um, lollipops are one of my favorite because they take a really long time to eat. Bags of Cheerios, granola bars. You would be amazed at what I find at the bottom of my purse when I clean it out. But I have to tell you, a couple of years ago, I wasn't as as experienced in the snack department um, as a mom because I used to give my kids on snack runs when we were out shopping little bags of raisins. I know, I was inexperienced. Let me tell you why giving bags of raisins is a bad idea. When I had just two children, my, my Zoe and Gus, I think I've got an old picture that we can put up there. There they are. They loved them. I thought it was a great idea, those little box of raisins. They'd be eating them. We'd enjoy. And we'd go into the store, and my one child, Zoe, would just like pound her raisins down. She was done. And then I'd look at my little Gus, and his box was empty, but he wanted more. And I started to realize that I was stepping in smashed raisins all throughout the store. Have you ever tried to clean up smashed raisins from the floor? It's not fun, let me tell you. It is a big mess, and they don't clean up easily. Thus, I have graduated in the mom department from things like raisins to popcorn. But messes Cleaning up things is never fun, right? Do we have anybody out there who loves cleaning? I mean, some of you I know, you're just addicted to cleaning. Nobody in the house? Okay, you guys are my people then. I, I, I like this, that we don't have anyone who loves um, cleaning out there. Um, it's always easier just to kind of throw things over a mess, right, rather than just clean it up. Have you ever done that? Like moved the rug or moved the furniture over the mess if someone's coming over because it's just too much to, to take care of right at that moment. But do you know we are a people who have been covering up messes for a very... Long time. And I'm not just talking about smooshed raisins. So, this actually, there's a a kind of a tradition that began back um, with Sir Walter Raleigh. He is the famous knight who, back in the 16th century, is the one who first stepped forward and he took off his cloak in a grand gesture and he laid it across a puddle so that Queen Elizabeth I would not soil her shoes. He took his cloak off and, in this gallant gesture, It became a a sign of knighthood to um, be gallant for women to um, put a cloak over the mess so that they would not get dirty. But do you know the Jewish people were doing this far be- long before, far longer before Sir Walter Raleigh was doing this. And one of the times that we see this happen is in the triumphal entry when Jesus rode on the Mount of Olives and the people stood waiting waiting and watching for him and they began to wave their palm fronds saying Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. And do you know what else they did? They took off their cloaks and they threw them on the ground so that Jesus and the donkey that he rode upon would step on their cloaks. He did, they didn't want Jesus to touch their dirty ground. It was a sign of respect and awe and adoration that they would throw these garments down as kind of a, a like a, a, a red carpet, like what we would do for a red carpet arrival. That is what the Jewish people were doing. Let's look at the scripture, Matthew 21, 6 through 9. The disciples went and did, and Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! So today we would do something like roll out the red carpet if someone of importance was coming. But for the people of Jerusalem, they did the best next thing that they knew to do to show honor, and that was to cut down the palm fronds and take the very cloak off their back and lay it out before them for Jesus. Now back in the day, everyone had kind of like a basic ensemble that they wore. They had an inner tunic that everyone wore. This was kind of your your inner garment that you'd often have a belt that you'd wear around. Sometimes you might have a spare inner tunic that you could change out when you were washing the one. But the outer cloak was something that was really rare and precious. I mean, you didn't have a whole closet full of sweaters and sweatshirts and hoodies and things to wear. You just had one cloak. This was the cloak that you would put on your on the outer side of your tunic, and this is what protected you from the elements. This is what protected you from the wind and the rain if it was cold. This would protect you from a sandstorm in the desert. This is what you could snuggle up in at night to keep warm. This could become your pillow and your blanket, and you only had one tunic. You didn't have a closet full of tunics. And so their valued possession is something that they took off to lay before Jesus, to lay out on the ground. Now can you think about what's your favorite sweater, your favorite coat, or it's almost like if you were traveling with a suitcase and Jesus came in and you dumped out every one of your possessions on the road before Jesus to blanket the way for him, to give him this path of honor. Now, I don't know about you, but once a donkey has stepped on my favorite sweater or coat and all the things that come along with the donkey, I don't want it back, right? I mean, it is there to stay. But they didn't want Jesus to get dirty. They wanted him to get above all the grime of humanity. Yet, that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to get dirty on our behalf. He came to step Where no one else would dare to step because he can, because it doesn't scare him, because none of the messes that we make in our life are too dirty or too hard for Jesus to clean up. Jesus came to step in those messes because he wants to be the one that covers over that so that we can have a smooth path in which to walk. Now those raisins that my kids dropped, they were a pain to clean up. But it really does not compare to some of the consequences that we have in our lives for bad choices that we make or bad choices that other people in our lives have made. I grew up the daughter of an alcoholic father. My dad made some really bad choices, and because of his choices, there were consequences for me, for my sisters, for my mom, for our entire family, for his business, for our community. There was a lot of consequences from some bad choices that I really didn't have a a say in. It was something that I grew up in. But even those messes that were made that I still had to step in, I have a God who is willing to come and step in those messes so that I could take steps that are different, that I don't have to step in those same steps. Now, the people of Jerusalem, they threw out these cloaks to kind of conceal the imperfections on the road, um, to, to create a smooth path for Jesus. But it really could not conceal the imperfections of their lives. And that is the Jesus that as he rides triumphantly into, um, as he's heading towards Jerusalem, as he's riding down the Mount of Olives, he is taking those steps so that our steps in life could be different. Jesus kind of, in essence, threw out a cloak of his own. And this was one that would cover us. And it wasn't one that would just cover us kind of skin deep, but it was a cloak that would cover us soul deep. It was a cloak that would go to the very core of who we are. Let's look at this scripture in Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, he poured on us, he covered us with. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us this mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ." You see, this whole idea of forgiveness of sin and having a new way to walk in life is not a mystery. It's not something that's cloaked in mystery. It is something that Jesus set out to reveal to us. It is something that he wanted to be discovered. You see, the will of God walked right down that street on its way to Jerusalem, and he did not stop until he walked all the way to the cross on Calvary. Jesus knew that the road that we would walk on in this life would be hard. It would be a difficult one. There would be steps that we take where we step in messes, where we create messes, where people around us create messes. But he threw out a cloak to give us clear footing when we follow Jesus. It was a, a, a footing that would give us a very solid foundation. And I am so grateful that that day, those people not only threw out their own cloaks, but Jesus threw one out for us as well. They laid down their cloaks, but Jesus would lay down his life so that we might have one. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the chance to um, just pause on this Palm Sunday and remember the events of the day. That is, people lined the streets and yelled, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. As they threw out those cloaks, that you threw out a cloak of your own. One, Lord, that would cover our sin, that would cover our very lives, so that we could have clear walking, that you would give us a path that guides us. And so, Jesus, we are so grateful for the steps that you allow us to take as we follow you. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.
1: Pastor Lisa did a phenomenal job unpacking this story, this triumphal entry. And, and one of the things that, that Pastor Lisa was, was suggesting was that Jesus came for imperfect people, right? And in this story, there's one glaring imperfection that I want to talk about. And it's so glaring for me because I resonate with it. And I imagine that maybe some of you would resonate with it as well. And so let's see if, if, if we can pick it up together. Beginning in Matthew 21, verse six, it says this, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? So there's these crowds, and they're shouting at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means, God, save us. God, help us. God, we cannot do life on our own. God, we are so dependent on you. God, you are everything. That is what these people are crying out is Hosanna, and this same crowd a few chapters later, a few days later, are the same group of people that are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's, it's this crowd that a few days earlier saying, Hosanna, save us, God, that are saying, crucify him, crucify him. You see, the people Jesus came for who were imperfect, who are like me, are fickle people. There are people who don't have it all together. They're people who live by their feelings. They're people who act one way in certain situations and in other situations act completely the other way. And you see, Jesus came for those kinds of fickle people just like you and just like me. And just to be honest with you, you know, I love getting up here and sharing. I love getting to teach at HSM, at our our high school ministry here at Purpose Church. But you know what? Oftentimes I find myself, I'm preaching and I'm sharing about Jesus and I'm all excited. And I'm talking to every kid about God, and then I drive back into my neighborhood. And I have moments like I had a few weeks ago where I'm at the park, and all of a sudden, these neighborhood kids come up and they start talking with us. And we're just talking, and they got these really fast scooters, and they're like scooting all throughout the park, having a good time. And and so we're talking, and, and we're chatting, and having fun. And as we're walking home, because they live a few houses down from us, they say, Hey, what are you doing tonight? And we're like, well, I don't know. We're adults. We're going to bed at nine p.m. Like we have little kids. Like that's what we're doing tonight, right? And they're like, Oh, we're all da- our dad's out of town. We got nothing going on. And so Sarah and I are like why don't you come over for a movie night? You guys want to come over for a movie night? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I'll get ice cream. And they're like, yeah. And so all these kids, they start coming over to our house. It's like 830. So already I'm beginning to be really tired at this point. I have two little kids in case you're wondering why I'm so tired. And, and so, so they come over to the house and, and we're beginning to kind of have some ice cream and hanging out. And then all of a sudden we decide what movie we're going to pick. And this, at this moment, I get really excited, okay? Because we decide that we're going to watch Jurassic Park, which I love that movie. It's like an old classic for me. I just think it's amazing. I'm really amped about it. And then all of a sudden, the kids, they say, hey, Eric, what do you do for like a job? You know, because their dad's a cop. They're like, what do you do? And I'm like about to press play on the movie. I'm like, uh, I'm a pastor. All right, and I'm about to click play, right? And they go, oh, like, like, like about Jesus and stuff? And I'm like, Yes, yeah, about Jesus. You know, like, trying to get to the movie, right? It's like, Jurassic Park, like, there's dinosaurs. We'll talk about Jesus later. These are dinosaurs, right? And, I, and I'm about to click play. And they go, oh, er, er. like, d- doesn't it say in the Bible that, like... And literally, like, this is our conversation. Like, doesn't it say, that, like, like Jesus is, like, the only way to heaven or something? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so I begin talking. We, like, are literally talking about Jesus, how he's the only way. And then, and then one of them goes... Hey, I, saw, I heard of this like movie, Noah. Is that in the Bible? And I'm like, I want to watch a movie. I don't want to talk about this stuff. But my wife and I, we begin these conversations with these kids about Jesus, about Noah's Ark, about how much God loves them. We eventually got to the movie. It was much later. But for me, I find myself, if I were to define my faith a lot of times, it is a fickle kind of faith. Where one moment I'm in, and then the other moment I just could care less. Or I would, I'd much rather be doing something else. Or I think of this story. The other night, Charlie, he woke up. He's my two-and-a-half-year-old son. He woke up in the middle of the night, and he's just screaming, right? He's just screaming at the top of his lungs. Now, we barely have any really good nights, like a full sleep. So I'm like, okay, here we go again. So Charlie's screaming. Sarah and I run to his room. And we go, Charlie, what's up, buddy? What's the matter? What's going on? And he says the most terrifying thing to me I've ever heard in my entire life. He says, Dad, where's the big man downstairs? Let that sink in for a minute. Okay. Like, like think about all the things that that implies. One, there is somebody in the house. Okay. Number two, he's downstairs. Number three, he's a man. And most importantly of all, he's big. Okay. Like he's not a little man, you know, or he's not like a man that maybe dad could like somehow take out. He's a big man. Now I want to assure you there's no big man downstairs. Charlie just thought this would be funny. So he yells, where's the big man downstairs? Okay. So I go and I have a little t ball bat. I grab a, t-ball bat and I run downstairs and I'm literally like looking for this big man and there was honestly a part of me that said maybe Sarah should take this you know maybe maybe Sarah would be a better f- I'll, I'll counsel Charlie as a pastor Sarah can take care of the big man downstairs but I went downstairs and I went like after it and I was like you know I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take out this big man Let's, I mean, depending on how big he is we'll see But I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna face this big man downstairs but you know then there are those moments with Charlie where he's in the back of the car and he's just like screaming or going crazy. And I'm not that heroic dad. You know, I'm that dad who's like, is there a mute button? You know what I mean? Like, is there some way for just a moment of silence? You know, like I'm, I'm not that dad that has it all together. I'm not that dad that's running down, defeating the big men downstairs. No, no, no I am fickle in my parenting. I'm oftentimes fickle as a husband. I'm fickle as a pastor And I'm fickle in my relationship with Jesus. And so when I hear this crowd, I resonate with them because they're going, Hosanna, Hosanna. And yet they're the same crowd that are the influence of religious leaders or ideas from other people. They're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And then I remember that moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it's after they've nailed him to the cross. And you got a picture that they were about eye level with the people that they were crucifying. And so he's looking out at the people that have crucified him. He's looking out at the people who just days earlier were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And these same people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. And they're just staring at him. And Jesus is there on the cross. And do you know what he says? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Friends, I'm here to share with you some really incredible news. In fact, the best news the world has ever heard of that Jesus came and he died for fickle people like you and especially like me. That Jesus came and he gave up his life and gave us his life. His resurrection gave us brand new life in him. His death defeated the sin and the death that we live under. He gave it all to us even though we are the people who in one moment scream Hosanna and in the next moment scream crucify him. And so the question is could God do anything with a fickle person like me? Could God do anything with a fickle person like you? And then I just want to close with reminding you about a guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples who was the most outspoken among them, right? He's recorded all throughout the Gospels, usually the first one to speak, kind of in the inner circle. Well, you know what's interesting is the way Jesus first interacted with Peter is recorded in Luke chapter five, where Peter is fishing, and Jesus says to him, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and they're going, Peter's going, look, I don't know who you are. I've heard you teaching. You don't know anything about fishing. And he said, no, 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 just trust me. Just try this. And all of a sudden they collect this huge amount of fish. And Peter is overwhelmed. Like he's literally had an encounter with the physical Jesus. And he is blown away. And Jesus says this to them. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of people. And so Peter begins to follow Jesus like he is literally right next to Jesus at all of the most important moments of Jesus' earthly ministry. Peter is right there next to him. And then there's that moment where Jesus is about to get taken away by the authorities. And Peter thinks of this awesome idea, right? Like he's so passionate. He's thinking about that big man downstairs with that bat, but he didn't have a bat. So he picks up this sword, right? And he tries to cut off the guy's ear. Can you imagine like what that would have been like? Like he literally cuts off the guy's ear. Like he is all in for Jesus. And then a few minutes later, he goes from Hosanna to betraying Jesus, right? Right? He's questioned by these few different people who say, hey, hey, weren't you with him? Didn't you know Jesus? Weren't you buddies with him? He goes, no, 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 no. I don't even know the guy. I don't know anything about him. And then in John chapter 21, at the close of John's gospel, we see Peter and he's on a boat and he's fishing with his friends. And he's thinking, man, I'm so fickle. I was saying Hosanna and I I practically crucified him by betraying him. And he goes back to his fishing and he's doing what he's always done. Thinking that I screwed it up and there's no way a perfect God would want to mess and be in a relationship with a fickle person like me. And then he meets Jesus. Jesus calls out from the shore tells him to do the exact same thing that he asked him to do in the beginning of Luke. He says, cast your net. And they get this bundle of fish, and he sees it again that Jesus reinstates him, that even though he is a fickle person, even though he is imperfect, even though he doesn't have it all together, even though he messed up last week, and even though he keeps looking at that thing online, no matter what it is, Jesus says to him, hey, I want you on my team. And I don't want to just leave you in that mess and in that fickleness. I want to restore you. I want to heal you. I want to give you some more discipline in your life. But your fickleness is not going to get in the way of my grace. Your imperfections is not going to get in the way of me saying, I love you so much that I will go to the cross for you. You see, we have a God who takes fickle people like you and me and he changes the world with us. We have a God who takes imperfect, broken people who don't have it all together, who have shame and pain and guilt and whatever it may be. And he says, you're a perfect candidate to change the world if you'll surrender your life to me. If you'll stop depending on your perfection and if you'll start depending on my perfection. You see, that's the God who rode into town While the many were screaming Hosanna and they were screaming crucify him, he said, nah, I have a plan for these fickle people. They will change the world through me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to confess my fickleness to you. Jesus, I want to confess the ways that I get up and I speak about you and I talk about you, but there are many moments in my life where I want to choose anything but you. God, I want to confess the ways that I don't always love my wife the way I should. That I'm not always the best father that I could be. That I'm not always the kind of pastor that you've called me to be. That I'm fickle, Jesus. And yet you knew that and you didn't let that get in the way of you dying on a cross for me. Jesus, thank you for taking a fickle person like me and inviting me into your family saving me and then sending me out to change the world in your name. May I embrace that. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.